Are you ready? Okay. Good morning, everyone. So good to see everyone here. Merry Christmas. And for those of you who are not here but will be listening at a later date, we, we miss you. It's, uh, yeah, it's good to be here this morning, and we have a great, have had some good fellowship, and uh, looking forward to seeing what God has in store for us uh, for the next 30 minutes or so. I do feel a little bit lopsided this morning. Um, Charlene is not here, and so if my collar sticks the wrong out the wrong way or something, then just that's the way it'll be this morning. <laughs> um, well, looking forward to, uh, yeah, just we have been enjoying this Christmas season, and I'm, I'm sure that many of you have as well. Um, just, uh, yeah, yesterday, Charlene and I and the boys, we spent some time with, with her family and, and uh, just uh, a really good time of, of fellowshipping together and, and uh, we exchanged some gifts and we ate some good food and we, uh, we actually cut a little wood and, and had to make room for more good food later on and so just some good times. And so as I, as I prepared for this message, I wondered, I, I had to think of those things that we enjoy about this, not necessarily just this day, but this season. We've, we've actually... We've actually made a, a, a season, a holiday season, out of this event. And so, as I began to study and I began to see that we, we really have added, or we have, we have the event of the birth of Christ, and from that event, it seems there has mushroomed a whole host of of other things that go along with it and so instead of seems like to me anyway instead of sometimes instead of the focus being the the birth of Christ and the incarnation we simply have the holiday seasons and it's a it's a period of time where we you know, we do what I just described. We get together and we have good food and we exchange some gifts and, and it's a good time of fellowship. Not necessarily anything wrong with that, but I would like to um, spend a little bit of time this morning maybe trying to, to cut through some of that baggage and, and to, to get down to what, what really is is what really has taken place here. And so, obviously, uh, one of the first things that, that uh, we, I think most of us here would, would recognize this as a, as a myth or a, just a, I don't know, actually, the, the history of this guy does, does go back to, to a person and I, I really initially I wasn't going to talk about him because it's maybe just a little off topic for where I want to go. But um, as I looked at this history, I enjoy history, and so I had to kind of figure him out. And so um, he, the uh, root of Santa Claus, goes back to a man named Saint Nicholas back in the in the uh, 
early Middle Ages or maybe even a little before. It's, it's a little, little fuzzy on when that exactly was. But he, he uh, according to legend, gave away his, everything he had and he went around and did good things for the children. He gave them gifts and he, he did good things for the children, which is fine and good. But the kind of the interesting thing that caught my attention is that was all um, <clears throat> took place in the years three, four hundred, somewhere in there. But more recently, in the 1800s, in the early 1800s, retailers began to realize that there, there was beginning to be a, a season somewhat over this time. And they began to realize that if they would have a live Santa... At their stores, their sales would go up. And so there began to become this tradition of, of you would take your children to go see Santa. You would do some shopping. You would buy some gifts. And, uh, and that's kind of where, where in, in American history anyway, Santa kind of became, be, began to be on the scene. And then in 1822... A man named Clement Clark Moore, he was actually an episcopal minister. He wrote a long poem, just kind of for fun. He wrote a long poem about St. Nicholas. And it's, it's in that poem that we first began to get this, this picture of, of Santa flying around in a sleigh pulled by reindeer, Landing on the ch- on the housetops, going down the chimney, dropping the present. It, that's in, that in that poem. And then in later in the 1800s, there was a cartoonist that put pictures to the poem. And so that's in a nutshell kind of the history of of Santa Claus. And the reason I wanted to share this is because it's like so many other things. This little idea or this this little myth or legend or whatever you want to call it, it started so innocently. You know, just it's a cute little story about a man that he sold everything he had and he gave everything that he, he went around doing good. And so it really kind of, really kind of, some, you know, you could make the argument, I guess, that it does fit in with, with Christmas. However, Santa, and along with, with the... Uh, tree, um, the, the tree actually, the, from the, I didn't spend a lot of time here, but the, tri- the history I found here is that this really stems from a Roman pagan, from a pagan Roman idea of, of was used in worship of, of um, idols and, and such thing, even, even before the time of Christ. And so um, the early church Obviously, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue at that time. But again, interestingly, in the early Middle Ages, 800, 900, in, in those years as the Roman Catholics um, began to evangelize the various tribes of northeastern Europe and so Obviously, these tribes, they brought with them this, this pagan practice of, of using trees to, um, in, in places of uh, worship or as a symbol of, of something. 
And so their argument went that, well, since these people are now, now converted, the, the practice, their, their culture is converted too. And so the, the, the practice that whatever they're doing now, it's just now a Christian practice rather than a pagan practice that really should be repented of and, and turned away from. And so um, that's where the whole thing of a Christmas tree comes from. But I trust that um, most of us aren't using that in any kind of worship. Maybe, maybe a little closer to home for us, um, and, and again, just I, uh, as I looked at this story and, 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 uh, of what we have in, in Scripture, um, and, and there's so many, you know, we, we uh, one of our traditions is we, we give cards and we have a, um, maybe a picture or, or something um, um, on the card. And we, we have um, these ideas of what Christmas looked like. And so I was a little surprised myself at, at how some of these things that, that we just, we just kind of take for granted as a part of the Christmas or a part of the um, story of the birth of Jesus, I was a little surprised how some of them really, they've been added later on. So how about, uh, maybe a little Bible trivia here, how about did Mary really ride into Bethlehem on a donkey? It doesn't say. She might have, it's possible, but it doesn't say. And yet, you know, how many cards and pictures and things do we see of, of Joseph faithfully leading the donkey and she's riding in on the donkey? And um, this was a little interesting to me. The, the innkeeper, did the innkeeper actually turn them away? It doesn't say. <laughs> it just simply says that when Jesus was born... They put him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, that, the, the Greek word for that word inn is actually, in, in the Gospel of Mark, it's translated as guest chamber. And so, you know, and then that leads us to another one. Well, was, was he born in a barn? Um, doesn't say. No, it just says they put him in a manger and maybe, maybe sometimes you know they use caves for barns, or but I, I would tend to believe from from what I've studied here now that um, a manger possibly might have been something like our modern cradle now, you know, something that was built that could be moved around, and we don't know, we don't know. Um, Another one, did the angels actually sing to the shepherds? It's just, they, they, they said. Uh, how many wise men were there? Again, it doesn't say. There were, just, there were three gifts. But it just says that there were wise, it says plural, so two or more. But we don't know. And so, we, we have all this, you know, we have all this... We know the Christmas story, right? It's just we've, all of us, I think here, we've grown up with this story and, 
And, uh, you know, we could, we could tell someone we meet on the street, we could tell them the story, no problem, without picking up the Bible. And we could tell them, you know, how that um, Joseph and Mary were being taxed, they had to go back to Bethlehem, and, and we could give them the details. All the details that aren't there. So, well, this morning, I would like to, rather than preaching to you about how wrong Santa Claus is and how, how pagan the Christmas tree is, and, and rather than moderating a debate about some of these um, things that are there or not there, I would, I would simply like to give you a, a vision that transcends those traditional Christmas icons, a visionary picture of the grandeur of the scheme that Jesus came for, that was birthed by God himself, or a vision that compels us to look beyond these trivial things of Santa Claus or, or whatever, to things that have an eternal perspective and a value far beyond what our finite little minds can comprehend. A vision that gives us something practical to grab onto today that will have an impact on our lives far beyond this Christmas season. And so, as we look at that, and as we, as we stop and, and we, we think about what has happened, uh, for myself, I had, to, I had to, as I think about God and what took place there, I, you know, we think about in the beginning... God created the universe. And we know he tells us that in Genesis chapter 1. Again, um, in, in, in Colossians, that G, we know that Jesus was there with the Trinity from what Paul writes to the Colossians. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So here we're, we're speaking about Jesus, this, this same person. Sorry, I was going to get rid of that tree. The same person that is born as a baby. He was in the beginning, he was there, and all things were created by him, and there was nothing created that wasn't created by him. Isaiah speaks of this as well. Isaiah 44, chapter, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And we, we can't... This, this Jesus that came as a baby, he is so big and so vast that... We literally, our little minds, cannot comprehend him. Revelation speaks about that numerous times as well. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It's the Almighty. We, this, this Jesus that came as a baby is the Almighty. He is a part of the Godhead that was in the beginning, and he is, and he always will be. And so, in order for us to, to understand the significance of this event, of this, this Almighty being born as a baby, I, uh, 
would like for us, I'd like to give you a picture of, of somewhat of how big this is. And I'm not sure that, that I can do that because, like I said, our little minds, we can't comprehend it. But in order to do that, one of the ways that I see that is, is through the universe. And so I did a little study on the universe and can you see that? Well, somewhere in the middle here is where we're at. This is, this is, a, this is a model of, of the known universe. And, and obviously, our perspective is in the center because we can look in, in every way. And so, I'm not sure how to... Uh, I'm not sure how to do this justice. I think my mind anyway, and I think for all of us, we're, we're probably, it's a little bit like, so what? Well, we're wrestling with how big this really is. Well, the universe is made up of numerous local superclusters, and we are, again, in the center here in a cluster called the Virgo supercluster. And these are huge, these are even, these are clusters of galaxies. Okay? That, I, I can s somewhat comprehend that. Um, okay, so now, now we're in, we, we went one layer further, we're in the Virgil supercluster. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but, um, and again, we're in the center, and this is a local uh, group of galaxies in this supercluster. Now we're in the local group of galaxies, and Right here in the center of this group is the Milky Way, which is our local galaxy. We're, we're getting close to home here. <laughs> and this is the Milky Way galaxy. And we are tucked in right down here in, in one of these spheres is, is where our uh, neighborhood is at. So this is the neighborhood of suns that we are a part of. And if you look right here, this is our sun. That's our sun. So we're getting real close to home. So now this is our solar system. This is what revolves around our sun. And you have, if I can hold this steady enough, you have the sun in the center and the earth, we still can't even see it. <clears throat> then we have the earth, and we're on the earth, and we are only one among an estimated seven billion of people that are on the earth. So... I don't know if that gives you any kind of comprehension of how, how big God is. 
um, the sun is, is about 109 times the size of the earth. And if, if I had a penny, using it as the sun, the nearest star that we saw would be about 350 miles away. So I have a penny here, and, and just as a point of reference, most of us know where Faith Builders is at. That's 360-ish some miles from here. So that's how far apart these stars are in, in our local group of stars. Now, we're not even beginning to look at the Milky Way galaxy. Using that, using that scale, the Milky Way galaxy would be 750 million miles across. So, it's this same God that has created all this. It's this same Jesus that was born as a baby in a stable or, oh, there I go, that was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. <laughs> and just that alone kind of is, is, is a little bit beyond my comprehension. Why this, why did Jesus... So, the first slide I had of, of the known universe, you know, we are just, the, the earth is a fraction of a speck of dust in this universe. And on that fraction of a speck of dust, there's approximately 7 billion of us. And yet Jesus chose to come to earth to, as a baby. I'd like to look now a little bit at why he came that way and why, yeah, why he came as a baby. And so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the highest, will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? 
And the angel said, answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, for there, there's a lot more in here that we can talk about this morning. For the sake of this morning, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about the, the virgin birth. Why did Jesus need to be born from a virgin? And why did he need to have been born as a baby at all? Why could he not just have, you know, showed up one day in, in, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and, and began, be, begin teaching? What, what's the significance of being born as a baby from a virgin? <clears throat> and... One of the first things I want to look at and want to notice, I guess, in here is in verse 37. For with God, nothing is impossible. God did the impossible. And we also know in, in verse 26 that God, God the Father, orchestrated this, this whole plan. This was God's plan. And he chose to do the impossible. And the impossible was that the, the creator, typically when we think of a creator and a created, they're two separate things. But the creator in this story became a part of the created. So, and, and that's part of the reason why I showed the slides of, of the universe is because God is the creator of this. He is separate from time, space, and matter. And so, he creates this, this little universe, but now he becomes a part of it. And he chose to become a baby born of a virgin. And this topic has probably stumbled numerous people who are searching Christianity how can this be? Because it simply defies logic. It is impossible. And so, you know, one of the questions we, well, why, why could Jesus not have simply have been conceived of Joseph? Or, you know, why, why did he, what, what's the significance here? And, and is it even possible, is it even possible to believe it? That's, that's what we're going to look at here for the next few minutes. Um, I think, first of all, it, the, the fact that God came as a miracle, it, it obviously had to be God. How else did this take place? So if, if, if he would have been conceived of Joseph, then would God have been involved or not? Well, he might have been, but... Um, if, if God had it, 
if, if God had chosen to do that, then, then there could be the argument that God was not involved. The second thing is that because God intervened, it, it gives us a clear understanding that because God had to intervene, man was doomed. There was no way, there was no man going to, going to save us. There was no way for us to, to create or do anything on our own. God had to intervene. The third reason is, I think more importantly, that if Jesus had a biological father, he would not have been the son of God. And in order for him, for the rest of the gospel story to, to in order for the rest of the plan to be completed, he had to be the son of God. So, so now what has, what has happened is we, we have a man that is fully God and he's fully man. And he has the nature of God and he has the nature of man. And I don't intend to, to go much further with that except to say that Again, the, the rest of the Gospels could not have been completed with, with either just a man or just, just God with, without man nature. Um, we, we know that he has these two natures from, from what we can read in scriptures. One of the a few, few verses on that is, is in Luke, later on in Luke here in chapter 2, verse 52. It says, he's speaking of Jesus, the, the boy Jesus, and it says that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So the, the, the boy Jesus, the, the man Jesus, was growing up and, and becoming a man. And yet at the same time, in, in John 21, in verse 17, where where. Peter, or where Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him, Peter's response is, and is one of the times, he says, well, Lord, you know that I love you because you know all things. And, and Jesus knows all things, and yet he's learning things. And so we have this, we have this man that is fully man and fully God. Well, I'd like now to, there's, there's probably a series of sermons that could be done on that. I'd like to leave that and, and look a little bit about evidence for, this is, as I mentioned, a, this is a tough pill to swallow if you are, if you are new to, to Christianity, that a, a virgin would conceive and bear a child. But there's a couple things that we can look at that, that give us some pretty solid evidence for this. And, and one of them is simply is, is Scripture states very early on, it teaches this, this doctrine about the virgin birth. And if you think about that a little bit, that's pretty compelling evidence because if I would begin to teach you something, let's say about the terrorist attacks of 2001, and 
we're 15 years after that now, and I would start saying that the British were responsible. Well, guess what would happen? Many of you here remember that, and you know the facts about it. There would be, there would be a, a huge outcry against that because people still remember the event. And so that's, that's what has taken place here. When, when the Gospels were written, and in early Christianity, there, there is, there is, that was an accepted teaching in the early church. There were no arguments. And so um, the critics of Christianity, if there would have been any way for them to, to dispel that claim, but there are no, there are no arguments. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't prove that. The second thing is, it fulfills numerous prophecies from the Old Testament. And again, this is using the Word of God. I think most of us know that this is a book that has been written by numerous authors, and, and especially, especially the Old Testament was written over a period of many years, well over a thousand years, um, well, well over a thousand years from the first writings to the time of Christ, and numerous writers wrote and prophesied about Jesus. And many of, and, and all of these uh, prophecies came to pass in this, in this man, Jesus. Um, you know, Matthew quotes from Isaiah um, when, when he says that, that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And, and there's uh, one interesting one that I found was Psalms writes about the, the form of, of death that Jesus would die in, in Psalms 22, verses 14 and 17. And that might be significant enough, but if we, if we realize that at the time that Psalms was written, it's very likely that crucifixion had not been used yet as a form of death. The Romans invented crucifixion closer to the time of Jesus, like in 7, 7, 800 B.C. Psalms was written earlier than that, and yet he prophesies that his hands and his feet would be pierced and his side, his, his side would be pierced, and, and all these things come to pass. Now, if we just... If we... Look at this, and we are still doubting, and we still think, well, those things probably just happen. I'd like to give you some numbers on, on the odds of that happening. There's close to 60 prophecies about Jesus in, in the Old Testament that have all come to pass, and, but the numbers we're going to look at just deal with eight of them. The odds that eight of these prophecies would come to pass. And I was going to put this number on the PowerPoint, but I, I didn't. The number, I, I'm not even sure what it's called. It has 15 zeros behind it. That's the odds that 
one man just randomly without God being involved would fulfill all the prophecies in the Old Testament. To give you a perspective, that number with the 15 zeros, if you had silver dollars and you had that many of them, you could cover the state of Texas two feet deep. That's how many silver dollars this is. And so if, to, to put that into perspective, um, what are the odds of someone starting in Dallas and going in any direction and on the first try finding the odd one? So impossible. And yet God orchestrated this and this birth from God, the Lord Jesus, as a baby, uh, was, was his doings. <clears throat> well, there's, again, there's a lot more there that could be said on, on why a virgin birth and on how, how we can prove that. For a few closing comments, I'd like to turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 5 to verse 11. And Paul is writing to the Philippian people. And he's, he's simply giving them some basic instructions on how to live together. And so, so as I... As I as I considered in my life, what does, the Christmas, what, what does this virgin birth mean to me, to, to someone who has accepted Christ and someone who's following after, if we take this time one day per year to, to look back at this, and how do we, what, what can we glean from it for us today? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So, the same way of thinking, the same, the same heart, the same compassion, the same zeal, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. See, he was God. He was not any less God because he was man but made himself of no reputation. And if we, the, the Greek word there carries, for reputation carries with it the idea of, of emptying oneself out. There is, there is nothing left of my own agenda. I have submitted everything to God the Father. Taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so being a man, just like we are, and we know that he was fully man, we know that he, he, uh, he became hungry and he, he uh, slept um, he became angry. 
We know that facing the crucifixion, he sweat drops of blood, which is that that was that was the man in in Jesus, the nature of man. But even in that, he was he overcame the temptation to to call the ten thousand angels and was obedient to death on the cross. Therefore, God has also, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Because he humbled himself and because he was obedient, God has exalted him far above every other name. There is no name that is higher or more important or more powerful maybe than, than this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God has exalted him. And if we do not confess him today, the time is coming that we will. So, in the story of the virgin birth, as we consider this Jesus who has made this universe so big, literally, literally so big that we cannot comprehend it, and yet he, was, he humbled himself and became a baby that grew up to die a death on the cross, I'd like for us to, to consider the instructions this morning that he has left for us here, that Paul's left for us here in, in Philippians, to, to let this same mind be in us. He is the creator, and yet in some way he humbled himself enough to become a part of the created. Um, we cannot quite comprehend that. So, in closing, I'd like to give you four reasons why Jesus was born of a virgin. First of all, it simply executed the will of God. It was God created, God orchestrated the plan. That was the will of God. That's how it happened. Secondly, it fulfilled the Old Testament law. or I'm sorry, the Old Testament prophecies of what had been prophesied. Um, God, this plan was, was birthed from the beginning of time. Thirdly, it is a part of the plan to redeem man back to God. Without, without Jesus being fully man and being fully God, the rest of the Gospels the rest of the gospel story would, would not be, be possible. The death of Jesus on the cross would not have paid the ransom to buy us back from Satan. Fourthly, and this is where I'd like to leave us today, it teaches us how to live. It gives us an example. This is an example that Jesus, that we can follow after. And, and I trust this, this morning I'm, I'm giving you this exhortation as, as people that have come to know the Lord and you are following after. 
I would simply like to leave you with this picture and this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'd like to pray and then James, I'll ask you to close. Thank you, Father, so much that you've loved us, that you have blessed us. Lord, we are grateful for this. And Father, this morning we are awed and we, we cannot quite comprehend how that you, you came to earth, Father. You created and yet you became part of the created. Lord, you, you loved us enough to, to become a baby and to grow up here on earth and to die on the cross. And so, Father, we are grateful for this. And Lord, I pray as we leave from here that, that uh, this same mind could be in us, that we could humble ourselves, that we could be emptied of ourselves, that we could follow after you, and that we would have a heart and compassion for those that we meet, Lord, for those who might not know you, and that we would be willing to, in some way, Lord, to give of ourselves to uh, to guide and to call them to you, Lord. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.